And if you're like me, I like to write down pithy sayings or, or things that the Lord puts on my heart to think about throughout the week. I encourage you to do that. Uh, that bulletin is to help you um, with that and give you some things to maybe reflect on this week uh, as you go home. And if you have a Bible, today we're going to look at Ruth chapter 2. And you might need to pull out your table of contents for that one. So I'll give you about 15 minutes to find Ruth. And Ruth chapter 2, we're going to look at this morning. Well, this is, we finally finished Romans. And if you're a highlighter, you probably have the entire book is yellow now. Um, we're in a little bit of a break, and, and J.D. and I were talking about what to talk about. And, and J.D. goes, what about giving? And I asked, how long has it been since you've talked about giving? And J.D., what would you say? About seven years. <laughs> and here's the, here's the lesson in that. Uh, some pastors don't like to talk about giving. It's, it's tough because there's so many uh, dynamics going on when you talk about giving. Then you get some pastors, that's all they talk about is giving. You know, if you turn on the TV or something like that, perhaps. I don't like to personally talk about it, but um, uh, we realize that every once in a while, um, it's good to talk about the issue because it's healthy and because the Lord talks about it. So we need to be teaching the whole counsel of God. So once every seven years, it's probably okay, like the locusts, when they come in, we talk about giving, I guess. Um, Here's what I don't intend to do today as we talk about giving. I do not intend to give you false guilt about giving. That is not my goal this morning. I don't want you to live in perpetual shame after you leave here today. I don't want to spiritually manipulate you. I don't want to twist scripture so that I could wring out more money out of you into the collection plate, which we, or collection box, we don't pass a plate here. That is not my intent in talking about giving. What I hope to accomplish today is that you would see that giving is a healthy thing. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about resources, time, and, and money. Um, back in the day, um, back in the Old Testament, caveman times, people used to, give uh, grain and, and sheepskin and, and venison and, and they gave eggs to each other and things like that. But our currency today is, or what our, com- our um, I can't think of a word, commodity today is money here. So primarily, I guess, talking about money, but um, I think that giving, giving away some of our resources pushes us to keep our hearts and our minds aligned Uh, as it should be with the Lord. This morning I want to set before you a good example of a godly man and let you observe the blessing that comes from generous living. The topic of giving, as I thought about giving, I started digging into it. I thought, holy smokes, this could be a whole sermon, like series on giving. What do I talk about with giving? Do I talk about uh, whether or not a tithe is commanded today or, or should our giving be pre-tax or f- known as first fruits or what if you don't give? What, is, what does that mean? Or should we give the widow's might every single week? What do we do with that? And Paul in 1 Corinthians 16 
encouraged the Corinthians to set aside money for the Christians who are struggling in Jerusalem. Is that a command for us today? Will God bless you if you give? Why don't we pass an offering plate? I've been asked that by my dad and, and a few other people. Why don't we pass a plate here at Harvest? I was reading up on Crown Ministries. They teach that giving is a test of our love for God, our love for others. It's a test of faith and of lordship. Is that true? Should we live cheap so that we can be generous? There's a lot of angles that can be hit. One question I had an agnostic friend of mine asked was, if God owns everything, then why does he need our money? Love that question. He doesn't need our money. Not at all. He doesn't need anything from us. But because he is a God of life, us giving away a portion of our resources to advance his purposes is wise and very beneficial for us and very beneficial for other people as well. So let's dig into Ruth chapter 2 and look at a man named Boaz this morning. Boaz is typically used uh, when you talk about a thing called a kinsman redeemer. And I'll let you look that up sometime later, but we're not going to focus on that today. I want to hit, that's like chapter 3 and on. Um, I want to focus on chapter 2 and look at Boaz's generous heart. And I have four, four main things I gleaned as I studied this week during the sermon. Gleaning number one, be generous. Why? Because God is a generous God. Dave Ramsey, anybody here a fan of Dave Ramsey? Can't talk about giving without talking about Dave Ramsey. I think that's a sin or something. But Dave Ramsey has this thing called the debt snowball. And basically his, his theory is, you know, people call in and they're messed up on debt, and you start taking these baby steps. You know, you pay off the lowest credit card first, and, and you make this momentous snowball effect so that you could be free of being under the bondage and the chains and slavery of debt. Why? Why does he want you to be free? The last step of the snowball is so that you can give like crazy, so that you can be generous and bless people. His motive is that we would be freed up to be a blessing. Why? Because God's a generous God and he blesses us. Verse uh, 1 says this in Ruth chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, now I'm going to stop there for a minute. You need to know something about Ruth. She was, what does your verse say? She was the Moabite, right. Ruth was a Gentile, and it's really important to know this. She is not only a Gentile, she is a Moabite. She is a dirtbag to the Jewish people in, in their mind. She is a nasty Moabite. Moabites... Um, uh, who was it? Paul Benware said that Moabites were a thorn in the flesh to the Jewish people. They lived east of the Jordan River, and they were not well respected. However, God grabbed this young woman's heart, this Moabite woman's heart, and she became what is called a God-fearer. So 
that is Ruth, a Gentile Moabite who feared the Lord and loved Naomi. That is Ruth. So anyhow, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So Ruth is saying here, Let me go to this field, and I'm going to grab some grain and, and, and get some grain. What do you think about that, Naomi? What would the Lord say? And Naomi said, Yeah, go. I thought, wait a minute. Is she implying that it's okay for Ruth to go to some guy's field and steal the grain? Any farmers in here? If you had someone putzing around in your field taking your grain, what would you do? Or what would another farmer maybe do? I remember cutting through a farm once, and I heard a big bang. And you know what that was? But I figured they were too far away, so we didn't really do. But farmers don't like when people go through their field and pick their grain. And, and, and anyhow, what is going on here? Why does this godly Naomi say, go? Go glean from this man's grain. Open up your Bibles to Leviticus 23, verse 22. This is why it was not stealing. Leviticus 23, verse 22. Here's what's happening here. And when you reap the harvest of your land... You shall not reap the field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after you harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. Basically, if you're a farmer, you need to leave some of your grain along the edge, along the corners. And if you're harvesting and you miss some, leave it for the poor person and for the sojourner. Why? Why not cut it all down? God answers the question by saying, I am the Lord your God. God wants us to be generous because he is generous. And we are, write this down in your bulletin, we are image bearers who, like the Jews, carry the Lord's name. And even as Christians more so, We carry the name of Christ in our lives. Why be generous? Because the Lord is a generous God. Leaning number two, trust God with his resources. Question, I was thinking this week, why does the subject of giving make people so uncomfortable? And I was thinking, why why me? I, I know for me, when, we, when, someone talk, when I hear a preacher talk about giving, my legalism radar goes up, and I listen for any word or anything they use to try to manipulate me to give them money. You know what I mean? I, anybody like, I, I get like that all the time. And I don't know, maybe I have a fear of being taken advantage of. Maybe I have a fear of being found out that sometimes I forget to give. It challenges our hearts to a degree. It confronts us to a degree of where our hearts are at. Or maybe perhaps we don't really understand that we are given a trust. We are managers of God's resources. We have not spent any time to think through, why has God given us the things that he's given to us? Verse 3 says this, as we trust God with his resources. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. 
And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Now, a little background insight. Ruth gleaned here from more than one field. This tells me it was a command that more than just Boaz observed. Although Israel by then was very much pagan, uh, they have turned away into a form of disbelief in God or maybe even to false gods. It was a fairly godless society by then. According to historians, they were in a drought due to a judgment from the Lord. If you look at, write this down, we don't, you don't need to look there now if you don't want to, but Deuteronomy 11, verse 13 through 17, God says, this land you're going to is a land flowing with milk and honey. If you love me, if you fear me, if you obey me, if you are careful to do what I say, the rains will come in season. You'll have plenty of vegetation. You will all be full. I will bless you if you do those things. However, if you don't love me, if you turn aside to other gods, if you don't fear me, if you don't obey me, there will be drought in the land. There will not be proper rainfall. There will not be proper harvest. So we're seeing here, this is a time of drought, a time of stress and, and suffering for the Jewish people. But even though, even though ignoring God was common, some people still love God by being obedient to his commands. God kept for himself a remnant, some people to keep loving him and trusting him. Verse 4, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young dirty Moabite. <laughs> I don't know why he mentioned she was a Moabite, but he felt it necessary to mention she is the young Moabite's woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said to us, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short nap or rest. <laughs> what is she doing here? She was asking to take some resources from Boaz. She was saying, please let me have some of your crops. Please let me have some of your resources. And she's asking this during a very difficult time in the land. Question, what if someone came and asked you a similar question regarding your resources? What if someone said, can I have some money or can I borrow your car for a couple days or, or something else like that? How would you respond to Ruth if she was to ask you to have some of your resources? Maybe you would say, no, I worked hard for this stuff. Get a job. Or maybe you would say, it's mine, I need this. Or maybe you'd say, if I let everyone do this, what you're doing, I wouldn't have anything for myself. Boaz was different. He was known to be a man, to this day he's known to be a man who kept wide corners. He kept wide 
field lines, so to speak. He trusted God's provision, is what I see here, even in a time of stress and famine. First Chronicles 29, verse 11 through 13, teaches everything in the heavens and on earth belong to the Lord. He raises up people. He gives his resources to people. Boaz understood that everything was provided and was God's. And he trusted God's provision. Generosity is an act of trust. I was reading an article by Dr. Jessica Grisham. She's an associate professor in the School of Psychology in Australia. She is an expert on OCD, hoarding, and anxiety disorders. And she said that there's something that leads to hoarding. Or I was looking at hoarding a little bit this week. Some people hoard things for themselves because they're very sentimental. You know, you know the type of person, I need to keep this dress because when my kid was three, we went to Disney World, and, and I remember wearing this dress. We've got to keep that just so I can remember that. It's like a photo album. Some people hoard because they're, you know, got those emotions, and they have these warm fuzzies when they, when they see things. Some people hoard out of fear, all right? A traumatic experience perhaps has happened, and they are fearful. So they gather everything they can. And they keep everything just in case something were to happen. My grandma went through the Great Depression. And we saw this play out in our family. When we would eat a meal at her house, she would say, finish everything on your plate. And, and she even went on from there. And, and you've probably heard that phrase before from someone who's gone through the Depression. She used to say, finish everything on your plate or you're going to take a nap after we eat. Which, of course, I thought was like, great. I'm not going to finish it. I want to take it. But she was, for someone to leave food on their plate because she went through the Great Depression, that was a struggle for her. Why? You've got to eat all that you can in case something terrible were to happen. So hoarding, according to this doctor, is a lot of times out of fear. So when you're fearful, you gather, you hold things in. Conversely, when you trust or when you have that love and, and faith in God's provision that, that he cares for you, generosity flows much easier out of trust. Boaz was different in that he understood that God entrusted him this field to manage well. It was God's field. He had the right perspective, and that was to reflect God's generous character. Now, in this passage, um, in Leviticus 23, it, it says keep corners for the poor, right? Right? Does it say in there how wide the corners have to be? It doesn't say that. In, God does not spell out how much you need to leave. Now, you probably have an aunt or an uncle that if they were living in these times, they would probably leave that much at the edge. You know what I mean? How much would you leave? If you lived during that time, would you, would you leave a large margin or would you get up as far as you can so that you get what's rightfully yours? Boaz left wide margins. Boaz understood that he was an image bearer. Being Jewish, Boaz carried God's name. 
So out of love for God, he was careful to reflect that character. As we'll see in the, in the following few verses, Boaz genuinely cared for people. His reflecting God's character advanced God's salvific name. He also realized it was an expectation. But for Boaz, it certainly wasn't a bitter obedience to that expectation. Here was Boaz's response when Ruth asked him if she could glean. Verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, you turkey. <laughs> no, she he didn't say it. He said, now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink with the young men what the young men have drawn. Ruth was so in awe of Boaz because Boaz reflected the generosity of God that in verse 10 it says she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? Being generous like God moves people powerfully and creates awe in other people. As I've shared before, Sunday is a bad tipping day because of the church people. We all know that. You know, that's common knowledge. Have you ever tipped a waitress really well on a Sunday just so that you could kind of like rebel against the good stewardship of some? <laughs> you ever do that before? There was one time we decided to tip extravagantly well, to be very generous. And this lady opened up about her life, and she was so shocked that a Christian would actually give a normal tip, that she was very transparent. And not to, um, or I guess I share that to, to say when you are reflecting God's character, people are inspired and they're placed in awe and it's a tool that you can use to draw people to worship and to give praise to God. And that's what Boaz did. Gleaning number three. Bless others with God's resources. Bless others with God's resources, verse 11. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings... You have come to take refuge. He quoted Psalm 91, verse 4 there. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Not only did Boaz let her glean barley, he also gave her a place of honor and his choicest food that we'll find in the next few verses. And Boaz, like the Lord, gave her way more than she could possibly have needed. Anybody here ever pray through the Lord's Prayer? Raise your hand. If you've ever prayed through the Lord's Prayer, sometimes I, sometimes I sit up in my office upstairs in my golden, I have some golden fabric chair from like the early 70s, 
And uh, I'm sitting in there, and I sometimes will pray the Lord's Prayer, and there's one part that always um, is hard to pray through. It, it's really, I'm kind of conflicted when I pray for it. It's, it's the phrase, give us this day our daily bread. I'm conflicted because when I pray that, I really don't need bread. You know what I mean? I, God has not only given me bread, he's given me bacon. And he's given me a house. And he's given me heat and air conditioning. He's given me a whole quiver full of children. He has been so generous and lavished his generosity on me that when I come to that part in the Lord's Prayer of give us this day our daily bread, it, you know, a, a Thanksgiving service breaks out. Lord, thank you so much for your generosity. You have lavished my, you have met my needs, you have met my wants, and you have given us bacon. And I am so thankful for what God has given me. He is so generous towards us. God is a generous God who lavishes upon us, doesn't he? In fact, anybody in here fighting the battle of the bulge? You know, up until you don't need to do that anymore, give us our daily bread should inspire Thanksgiving, and it does for me. (laughs) Verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied. And she even had a doggy bag left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. Do not yell at her. Do not get on her case for it. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. I have no idea what an ephah is. So I had to look it up. I consulted the United States Department of Agriculture. And that much barley weighed approximately 29 pounds. That's a lot of grain. I think, I'm, in my non-farmer professional opinion, that's a lot of grain. I have this little bag of flax at home. And it's like a half a pound. And that sucker's lasted me like three months. Now, it isn't my main diet. But um, it does help with diet. But she had 29 pounds of barley. That's a lot of food. If it was my field, I'd be like, okay, Ruth, now you've had enough. Now, now go and go find a job somewhere else. The Lord bless you or something. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. This example of generosity was contagious. She gave then to her mother-in-law to share with her and to be a blessing to her. Boaz blessed others with God's resources. Let us do the same thing. Gleaning number four. Use God's resources to attract people. Use his resources he's given you to attract people. Luke 16 verse 9 says this. This is a paraphrase. Use worldly wealth to gain friends. I read that verse once in a, like a management self-help. I think it was how to win friends and influence people. 
use worldly wealth to gain friends. And after I read that in a book, I had to look it up in the scriptures. I'm like, that seems weird. Why would, why would that? And Jesus said that. Why? Why use worldly wealth to gain friends? Is it so that you have a big Facebook friend list so you seem impressive? No. I think it's to draw people to the Lord. You use that worldly wealth to make him famous. So that one day you're in heaven and all these people you've led to the Lord said, thank you, I'm here now because of your generosity. Now I'm praising God for eternity with you in heaven. They'll welcome you into heavenly dwellings, the verse goes on to say. Anyhow, verse 19. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord. In other words, praise God for, no, for uh, Boaz. Matthew 5 verse 16 says, do your works in such a way that they see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. Boaz got it. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close, to, close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young woman, lest in another field you be assaulted. In other words, if you go to another field, the farmers might not think as highly of you, you know, gleaning their crops as this righteous man, Boaz. Verse 23. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. In other words, Boaz's generosity didn't fade quickly. Many people were impacted for the kingdom of God. Many people were drawn to praise God in this story by the generosity of the one man Boaz. In fact, we are here today praising God because of this one man's generous character, the man Boaz, today. So I don't know how you are. I'm, a, I'm the kind of person that I need really practical steps of application. Uh, I encourage you this week to take your bulletin and meditate on the passage and ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do with this passage? But I'm a person that really needs where rubber meets the road. I need some practical steps to inspire me. So let me share with you um, some practical applications I came up with this week uh, based on this passage. Kind of encourage you. Feel free to, I think they're in your bulletin. Uh, so feel free to circle any of the Lord might put on your heart. Um, but not, practical step number one uh, from this passage. Like Boaz, make margin in your life so that you can be generous towards others. Our culture lives red-lined. If we have two pennies to rub together, we'll buy a bigger house. If we have two bucks in our pocket, we'll get that car we always wanted. Our time is red-lined. Um, when I go to my parents' house in the suburbs of Chicago, there are these huge homes. 
and you don't put blinds on your, on your, uh, by your living room window. You want people to see the opulence of your home. And they buy these homes that are so expensive, there's one problem. They can't afford furniture. They might have a couple couches, but when you have a big house like that, you need like 13 couches in your living room to fit. It's huge. And what happens is when they get, when they're going to have company come for the weekend, you know what they do? They rent furniture. All right? And they don't rent the cheap stuff. They rent like really nice furniture so that everybody looks at them and is like, wow, you're a one, you must be a wonderful person because you're rich. You know? and, and then they go back to redlining in their life. It causes a lot of stress. Uh, the, the motto in America today is, I'm busy. You ever hear that? You ever want to get together with someone? <laughs> Maybe it's just me, where the people always tell me they're too busy to be together. I'm like, man, don't live that way, you know? Boaz made some margin in his life so that he could be generous towards others. Maybe you don't get that newer house. You stay with a smaller one so you have a little bit more margin. Maybe you don't fill your schedule up with certain things. You say no to some things so that you have some margin so that you could be a blessing to other people. Get some margin in your life. Really important. Do it for, to be used, use that margin for his glory, for his kingdom, that people would come to know him. Number two, like Boaz, choose to be known as a generous person. I know a lot of people want to be known as good stewards, and that's fine. But choose to be known as a generous person. When you die... When they walk by your casket and talk to your brother or your sister, wouldn't it be wonderful if they said, that was a generous man, he got it. Choose to be a generous person, be known as a generous person. Number three, like Boaz did to Ruth, give of your best. What's known in the Bible as first fruits. Why? So people may praise God. So your church would be equipped to extend the kingdom towards others. At Harvest, we take a collection. If we don't pass plates, as you know, the reason why, well, I'll get into that in a minute, but there's no plates. Back there, there are a couple boxes that say offering by them. Do you know why we take a collection? We do it to, our purposes are to exalt God to make his name famous, to equip people and to extend the kingdom. Exalt, equip, extend. Memorize that. Exalt, equip, extend. That is what we're trying to do here. Now, if we ever quit doing any of those things, I'd recommend finding a new local church to give to. But as long as we're giving to those purposes... In my opinion, this is a noble place to give it to because we're using it to extend his kingdom as our goal, to equip people and to exalt God. Did you know that your giving to Harvest helps support pastors so they can focus on counseling and comforting others and study and prayer and equipping? The leaders of the church have decided they want to bring on two pastors. Now, they could have said, will you come? get a full-time job, and when you have extra time, then minister to people. They didn't want, they could have said that, but they didn't. They they wanted two pastors to focus, be available full-time to pour their lives into the church and not have to worry about 
you know, 40, 50 hour a week job. So, so that's, what, that's what we do. That's one thing. Number two, uh, we use your resources to support other staff and interns so they can help minister to people. Number three, it allows us to have a building with heat and air conditioning. Aren't you glad for heat? Aren't you glad for air conditioning in the summer? You know, nobody's, nobody's exactly ever happy no matter what the temperature is, but at least we have some kind of heat. We have comfortable chairs, things like that. Why? So we can worship together, so we can be equipped together, and to make this place a great landing pad for others. We support the different ministries of the church, such as training up children, nursery care, small groups, student ministries, and being able to record the worship service uh, so that people who cannot come can be connected to. Some people are sick and can't get out. Some people are shut in. We want to help them. Number five, we support efforts to extend the kingdom both in Montgomery County and throughout the world by supporting local outreach like the Fall Festival, uh, things like that, and global missions. On your, in your bulletin, there's a list of missionaries. Those are the people we support so they can bring other people to glorify God as well. We also help people in our church who are struggling through meeting some of their financial needs. We spend time with them. Sometimes we give them money if they're having a hard time dealing with issues. We don't pass a plate here, but we have those boxes like I mentioned. The reason why we do that is so that you have a discreet time of worship and giving. And the pastor's on purpose. We don't want to know what you give. The reason why is we don't want any manipulation. We want to keep a clear ethic that we will not be dominated or have the ethic of whoever gives the most is the most spiritual and gets the most say. We don't care if you give a lot. You don't have any more influence than someone else. <laughs> you know, we want to keep that ethic. And um, however, the financial team knows how much you give. The reason why is because you write checks. And, and then you demand a giving statement at the end of the year. So they, they know that, but they don't share that information. Uh, so we don't pass a plate. We want it to be discreet, a time of worship uh, between you and your family. Your generous giving towards harvest is invested well and is overseen. Do you know this? It's overseen by godly people. We have a finance team of godly people. We have a shepherd team of godly people that look at the budget and think, are we being responsible with the resources God has entrusted to us? And last, like Boaz, pray about how wide your corners will be. I had a, just this week, I was talking with a, no problem with denominations at all, but I was talking to a denominational leader about giving. And uh, he said, you know, in the Old Testament, they used to give 33%. But in the New Testament, God, Jesus always raises the bar and the commitment level. And I said, no, that doesn't work for me. <laughs> I will not be manipulated um, by that. You know, to me, that's not real logical. And, and uh, it just seems like a lot of sermons I've heard have been on, you know, they put a number on it. But in this passage, God doesn't put a distance, a wideness number on how generous you should be with your, with your margins. God just says, leave the margins. So I, I want to encourage you guys Decide how wide your corners will be. 
Decide how wide your margins will be. You make that decision. I'm not going to throw a number out at you. I'll let that be, be between you and the Lord. Then after you decide how wide it's going to be, make that decision, and then do it. But do it with cheer. Boaz, you don't see anything in this passage where he is grumbling or complaining. But very much so, he was cheerful. And he loved being generous to other people. Do it cheerfully. God loves a cheerful giver. So I want to encourage you to take this this week and think about, Lord, what do you want me to do here? What do you want me to do with the resources that you've entrusted me with? Let's pray together.